You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When we have these boundaries, it tells the women who work underneath us on our teams too, that they have that right. That's the expectation is that they have boundaries and they have a personal life. So I think that we really need to have a collective shift away from feeling like we need to be teetering on burnout in order to be valued or to be showing our employer that we're doing a good job. It's actually quite the opposite. You probably have a solid plan for retirement, but maybe you're still wondering, did I miss something? Is there more that I can do right now to secure my future? It is time to find out. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor today. Hey, everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Her Money. Over the last few months, we have heard so much about the great resignation where so many millions change jobs in pursuit of higher salaries or better cultural fits. And today, there is another catchphrase in our corporate culture. That's quiet quitting. I don't know if you've heard it, but despite the name quiet quitting, it doesn't actually involve quitting your job. Rather, it means that you are just doing the bare minimum of what's expected to you. You're not staying late. You're not answering emails after 5 p.m. You're not initiating additional projects. A recent Gallup poll found that 50% of employees, 50%, like half, say that they are quiet quitters. Look, don't get me wrong. It is a good thing to have boundaries at work and to make sure that your employer is not taking advantage of you. But I worry quiet quitting is a symptom of a greater problem, which is that people are A, unhappy in their jobs, and B, don't see a way out. According to that same Gallup poll, 18% of workers say that they're actively dissatisfied with their jobs. That's up from 13% in 2019. So when you look at those numbers, we're not comparing in the pandemic to now. We are actually comparing before the pandemic to now. And workers under the age of 35, they're especially likely to say they don't know what's expected of them at work. They don't feel like they have opportunities to grow and they don't have somebody at work who cares about them and encourages their development. So today we're going to ask a simple question. How can we find jobs that not only give us a paycheck, but also offer some level of fulfillment? Because I got to say, we deserve more than quiet quitting. We deserve to have careers that give us purpose or at least some enjoyment. And our guest today is here to help with all of that. Elizabeth Pearson spent 13 years in sales working with brands like Vitamin Water and Coca-Cola before she started her own business as an executive career coach. She helps women navigate career changes, succeed in male-dominated fields, and launch their own companies. She also hosts the Ascend and Transcend podcast, which focuses on the relationship between work and spirituality, and she's the author of career confinement, how to free yourself, find your guides, and seize the fire of inspired work. Elizabeth, welcome. 
Thank you for having me, Jean. I'm excited about this topic. I think it's definitely relevant right now. And there's a lot that can go into kind of assessing how people are feeling in the job market. A hundred percent. But before we dig in, I got to ask about the cover of your book, which has a photo of a tiger on it. Can you tell us why there's a tiger on your book? What does it represent for you? Well, it represents... I feel like women in general, I feel like we are all tigers. We are divine, we are majestic, we are powerful, we're beautiful. And sometimes there can be this feeling that we're being held back. So there's this you know, beautiful tiger on the cover and then you'll see a shadow of bars. So it looks as if the tiger might be in a cage, but you're not totally sure if it is or not. And I think that that's really a metaphor for how a lot of women are feeling, especially post COVID. I don't know about you and your listeners, but for me, you know, that was really tough to stay committed to my career when I felt like I was being pulled in a lot of other directions and I had a lot of other obligations. And it really did start to feel like a cage, almost quite literally. So that was really the inspiration for this. I feel like sometimes we've created a cage around us and sometimes we've just created mental confines. And we've always had the power to be able to break free. And I think that that's just what I really want to encourage women to assess when reading this book. Really kind of take note. Do you feel like you're trapped and in what areas of your life? And are there actual bars keeping you in? Are there real life limitations? Or is it really just some external conditioning or an internal story that you've told yourself for too long? There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. So when you define career confinement, is trapped basically the definition or is it broader than that? I think that it can definitely be broader than that, Jean. I think some people in the immediacy feel trapped, which is why you're seeing people just kind of quietly quit or just check out. They're really deciding to downshift versus completely leaving an opportunity because they might still need the financial income, right? That's probably the main tether that's keeping them there. So I think that they can feel really confined. But I think when somebody kind of goes into this new space of feeling trapped, they're ready to cut that cord no matter what the consequences. So this can be obviously in your career. It can also be in a relationship. You know, I think we've all heard stories of people that just kind of had enough. They were fed up with it. And I think anytime you have a drastic action that comes, it's typically from feeling somewhat, you know, trapped or confined because as women and as creatures, we want to experience things. We want to make a big impact. And if we feel like the sacrifice that we're making for that paycheck is no longer worthy of it, then we will actually do something to be where we just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. So throughout the day, everything is costing us something, right? A job is paying us a certain amount, which provides financial security. It can give you a comfortable lifestyle. But if you're sacrificing eight to 12 hours a day, feeling like your soul isn't in alignment with what you're doing, that job could actually be costing you more than you're making. So that's when you're going to see some of these people start to resign in mass numbers, which is what we've been seeing really slowly over the last two years with the Great Resignation. Is this a women's issue? I mean, when I read the stories on the Great Resignation or on quiet quitting, I'm struggling to think of whether they're overweighted toward women. I think there are certainly male examples in the mix. Do you feel like women are especially vulnerable to feeling 
stuck and confined and trapped and whatever words we want to use? Yeah. Well, I think you know the answer to that one too, Jean. I think we definitely are because I think for women, it has to get really bad before we're going to walk away from something and potentially put our livelihood and the livelihood of our family in jeopardy. So I definitely think it is a women's issue. I'm not saying that it doesn't affect men at all because they might have a feeling of responsibility that is great as well, maybe if they're the sole breadwinner. But I think a lot of women are feeling this really hard because they're at this kind of fork in the road of, do I just stay where I am and try to make the best of it, live for the weekends, take vacations, and then that will be my happy time because my family really depends on me to have this job, maybe for healthcare or whatever? Or do I take a risk and decide this is no longer up to my standards, I believe in myself, and I'm going to go get a job that maybe compensates me higher, values me more, has a better work-life balance? I think it's always harder for women to walk away. And I think that it's harder for them because we've been externally conditioned to believe that our value is directly correlated to the amount we can produce or what we can do for others. So when you take away that line that is really kind of feeding into our self-worth, then you can kind of go into this abyss of, if I'm not my job, then who am I? And what value do I bring? So I think for women with, you know, imposter syndrome, all of this stuff really starts to ramp up when you start to entertain the idea of leaving the quote unquote cage or whatever career you're currently in. We did a survey called the State of Women 2022 with one of our partners, the Alliance for Lifetime Income. And in the last round of data, we asked a question about the amount of risk that women feel that they take in different areas of their lives. And the answers came back from the women who took this survey that they felt very strongly that they take more risk, that we take more risk. I shouldn't say they, because it's us. We take more risk with our careers than we do with our finances. Does that surprise you? I mean, kind of, but I think you have to define risk. I think women feel that things are riskier, maybe more than men do, because to us, we know that we probably had to work twice as hard to get where we are, or maybe we had to do things that were really obviously stand out, you know, things of value to secure our job. So it can feel more risky versus I think men, you know, just typically have, you know, a little bit more self-confidence sometimes when it comes to making some big leaps. And at the end of the day, if you look at the wage gap and if you look at the numbers, for a long time, they've been more likely to be hired, especially over a woman. And then, you know, maybe you add on that you're LGBTQ, maybe you add on that you're a mother. All of these things are really these biases that can affect our ability to make these moves. So yeah, it's going to feel like the gap is wider for us to cross, I think, than men do. So it's going to feel more risky. But I don't know if that's also going into it feels risky for us to take these leaps and we're doing it anyway because we have to be role models to our children. That's something that I talk with clients a lot about as well is, you know, if you do feel like you have to do something because 
you know, you have an obligation or a responsibility to your children. I think you can also carry that over to you have an obligation and a responsibility to show them what high standards look like for yourself, because that's going to be what they grew up to believe is good enough for them as well. No matter what we tell them, they're actually just watching. Right. And we have a lot of women in our community who don't have children, who've decided that that's not the life that they want to live. And I would argue we all owe this to ourselves. You mentioned spirituality, and I know that that's been a big part of your own journey. You wrote in the book that when you were struggling with career confinement, you felt like all the advice out there was forcing you to pick spirit or business. Why do you think that's the choice? I think it's such a great point. I'm glad you brought it up, Jean. A lot of the books and a lot of the resources out there really do quite literally make you choose a genre, right? Is it self-help? Is it spirituality? Is it career, business, money? And I think it's all. I think they're all together. And I think to really have fulfillment and abundance, you need to be living in spiritual alignment. And that's not to say, you know, you need to believe in a certain religious figure or anything like that. I really think that there's a 75% non-physical part to each of us. You call it the soul or spirit, but I think she is there trying to guide us. And if we can just create some space to hear her messages, you know, she's got all of the answers to the test. We really have the answers within us. And I don't know that that's fully embraced in the professional community. I think it's do this or pull this lever or, you know, do this tactical piece. And while you absolutely do need to do those things, I do think that you need to be soul led towards what it is you're going to do that is going to kind of check all of the boxes. It's not going to give you either or. You know, you you don't have to just be a spiritual being on the weekends when you're meditating or when you go with your girlfriends to a retreat. It's actually something that you can bring, you know, to your desk every day. And I think the confusion comes in when we try to identify what is spirit versus what is our mindset or our egoic brain trying to lead us. What if you feel like you are running so quickly that you don't even have time to recognize that voice when it's talking to you? Yeah. Well, I think that that should be, you know, like a red flag, (laughs) ring the alarm. If you feel like you're not able to hear her, then you're really kind of going down this path where she's going to get really loud and maybe something could come in like physically to get your attention. Sometimes people lose their jobs. Sometimes people get sick, you know, dis-ease, right? Can result in a physical ailment, a chronic illness. She'll either get really loud because she's like a toddler who's like, you know what, pay attention to me. Or even worse, Jean, she'll just stop trying. And then the voice will just really be silenced and it will be all the harder to get back in touch with her. So my advice is, I think that you do have to find a quiet place. It doesn't have to be, you know, your typical meditation where you're sitting in Lotus and you're trying not to have thoughts because for everybody who's busy out there, that's not going to work. And it's just one more thing you're going to feel like you failed at. So instead I say, you know, if you go on daily walks or something and you're usually listening to this podcast, it's great. When this episode wraps, just take the earbuds out you know, drive and don't listen to anything. 
One that I love too is, is like, let the dishes pile up in your sink. And instead of putting them in the dishwasher, slowly wash each of them. That can actually be a meditation. Feel the bubbles popping on your skin, you know, be in the shower and really ask for messages. I think that she'll take any break in the thought pattern she can get. And then you'll, it'll come in as, oh, that was a neat idea. I wonder where that came from, you know, or something like that. And then it's great to write them down. Or if you are sitting and trying to do a traditional meditation and your mind is running, have a pad of paper next to you and write down everything. Just kind of do a full download on everything that's coming up in your mind and just let it all out and then try to get in a place of stillness. And I like to ask my ancestors for signs too. I say, send me some angel signs. Let me know that you're there because my rational brain wants to dismiss this as just a thought. So I think it's really great for women to come up with something that is so kooky that their rational brain can't dismiss it as a coincidence, but actually a sign from the fifth dimension if we want to get really woo-woo, but like, you know, your spirit. I think those are all really good tactical thought starters. And I like when there's some solid tactics applied to the woo-woo universe because I'm not particularly woo-woo, but those suggestions actually make sense to me. So I know that they'll resonate with the people out there who are not particularly woo-woo like I am. We're going to get tactical about career confinement, recognizing it, and dealing with it. But before we do that, let me just point out that one of the reasons that we work, many of us, is to get us to a comfortable retirement, which is a really big deal. And since women live longer, we have to make our savings last longer, which means we have to plan smarter. If you visit edelmanfinancialengines.com slash hermoney, you can schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor. You'll get a fresh look at your finances and work with experts to create a plan to help build, grow, protect, and preserve your wealth for the retirement of your dreams because it's your money. So you got to make it count. Get started at planefe.com slash hermoney and speak with an advisor today. I am talking with Elizabeth Pearson, executive coach and author of Career Confinement. So tactics, Elizabeth, I know you've coached so many women over the years. What are the top three career problems that they come to you with? And then we're going to go through each of them and talk about how to break free from them. Yeah, I think the number one setback that they come to me helping to overcome is imposter syndrome. And, you know, I know it's kind of a buzzword right now. People are talking about it more and more, but I really think that it is this feeling of being fraudulent and it can be in your role. It can be in your industry. It can be, you know, sparked when you feel like you don't have enough education. And a lot of times when that happens, women don't actually lean in and go for the promotion. They don't lean into a salary negotiation because instead we've been kind of conditioned to feel like we should just be grateful for whatever we get. And so that's a huge opportunity for women to explore because what I like to do is I tell them to make a list of accomplishments, right? So again, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to make some lists here, ladies, but it's very painless. I think it's good to sit down and really try to recap some of the ways that you've generated income or added value to your employer that was above and beyond. 
This can also be labeled, you know, as your superpowers. I think it's great to identify three things that you do better than anyone else. And they don't just have to be job responsibilities. It could be maybe that you are somebody who really spearheads cultural engagement in your organization. Right now, that is huge. When we're seeing such a high churn rate of employees, somebody who can really unify an organization and amplify a positive company culture is very valuable, right? So put those things in and make this list, right? And every time that those voices start to run their mouth in your head of, you know what, you really should only get the 5% raise. Don't ask for any more. You don't want to seem greedy. You know, all of these things. It's great to refer to this list and really kind of poke holes in that because it's really a lie, that your mind has started telling you. And once you tell yourself a lie long enough, it becomes a belief. And we all know that a belief is going to dictate what kind of actions you take. So I tell clients, tell yourself a new lie. Mm -hmm. Tell yourself that you're incredible at this, even if it feels like a lie, because soon it will become a belief, then you will be able to negotiate, you'll fight harder for that promotion, and you'll have a list of receipts, right? Your list of accomplishment, that's great to actually use in a negotiation to show your employer or somebody new that you're actually really deserving of the increase in comp. Yeah, fantastic. Is there another one that's high on the list of things, problems that people come to you with? I mean, what if the problem is I just am trapped in this job? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. And it's a lot of people. And usually when they come to me, I say, let's dial down the pressure on this a little bit. Let's try to find a way to have little mini bursts of gratitude throughout the day. So it's funny. Some people will come and they'll be like, I'm really butting heads with my boss and I can't stand them. And I just, you know, they fantasize about quitting. And I say, okay, for seven days, I want you to text me three things that you appreciate about your boss and you can't repeat. And they don't like this, but girlfriends can do this with each other. You know, you can ask somebody to field these text messages from you each day. It can be great with a partner too. Maybe your maybe your partner is really annoying you and you're like, ugh, I don't know what to do with this person. You know what? Shift your energy to them. Send them gratitude. I can't tell you how many times women have started, you know, texting, bringing front to mind things that they appreciate about their boss every day. And then like all of a sudden their boss is being nicer and they're actually letting them speak more on conference calls and they're doing, they're just responding to that energy in a completely different way. So first off, you want to just make your day-to-day a little bit easier. Then I think you need to get super tactical. You need to be very active on LinkedIn. I always tell people it's a great idea to write an original article for LinkedIn and self-publish it. You really want to establish yourself as a subject matter expert in your role and in your industry. And LinkedIn is this wonderful platform to do it. And 87% of recruiters are looking at LinkedIn. So ladies, if you are ignoring your LinkedIn until you're out of work or you're like, quote unquote, serious about your job search, you're really going to be behind the game because the more active you are on it, like any social media, the higher you're going to rank in the SEO. So I think first get through your days with gratitude and then really start paying attention to LinkedIn. I have a great course on it. There's a million free YouTubes on ways to optimize your LinkedIn, but you have to make you know it a consistent effort. What advice do you have for women who feel like we've got to give 110% at this job or we're going to fall behind? And how do you deal with that feeling at the same time you're trying to set appropriate boundaries? Yeah, you nailed it. Boundaries. (laughs) You do have to set boundaries. And I think sometimes 
you know, when we lean in and do 110%, you know, we really go over and above, we're answering emails at 2 a.m., we're doing all of this stuff, it can actually have, you know, the opposite effect. Because you think about it, if a man comes into a room and has strict boundaries, you know, he will only have 20 minute meetings, he will not be on video every day, all of these things, you actually probably respect him more. And you think, wow, he really knows his stuff. He doesn't have to overcompensate. So I think women need to kind of rewrite that story in their head that we have to overcompensate to get ahead because it's actually, in my mind and what I've seen in my experience, it's backfiring. It's making you look unorganized. It's making you look a little bit frantic and a little bit desperate. So I think creating hard boundaries, you know, that are sometimes flexible, right? Sometimes there will be times when you need to be up late and send a late email, but don't make it the norm. Because when we do that, when we have these boundaries, it tells the women who work underneath us on our teams too, that they have that right. That's the expectation is that they have boundaries and they have a personal life. So I think that we really need to have a collective shift away from feeling like we need to be teetering on burnout in order to be valued or to be showing our employer that we're doing a good job. It's actually quite the opposite. We are going to wrap this up, Elizabeth. But before I do, I just want to get your last thoughts on these greater trends that we've been seeing in the last year, the great resignation followed by quiet quitting. Did you see these things coming? And do you think these trends, particularly as we teeter on the brink of a recession are here to stay? I don't think they're here to stay. I think, you know, I've kind of dubbed this as the great evaluation. I think everybody's just evaluating, you know, what do they want in their lives? How much do they feel like they can take (laughs) for what they're getting paid? So I think that if you really just take a look at where you are and where it is you want to go, I think you can start making actionable steps. But to just kind of hit on your original point too, over the last couple of years, did I see this coming? And do I feel like, I mean, it definitely affected me, but I do. It it affected every single woman that I know and every single client that I have. I think that we were teetering on burnout and a breaking point for a very long time, for years and years. And it feels like we're carrying this heavy backpack and they just kept adding more and more bricks. And maybe we were the ones adding the bricks to our own backpack. I don't know. But at some point, your soul and your body will give out and say, you know what, we're taking a break. And so that can come in the form of just, you know, walking away from your job, getting laid off, or just really saying, you know what, I can't continue like this anymore. And I need to evaluate what my priorities are. So I hope that the trend of constantly evaluating your priorities is here to stay. But I do hope that the job market settles a little bit. And I think everybody, you know, ends up in the right seats on the proverbial bus. Elizabeth Pearson, thank you so much. Where can our listeners find more of you? Thank you so much, Jean. There's lots of free content on my website, elizabethpearson.com or on IG at coach.elizabeth.pearson. Fantastic. Before we dive into our mailbag... Just a reminder that Her Money is supported by BCU, a credit union that helps its members feel confident and assured with the peace of mind that comes from making smart financial decisions. Visit bcu.org to learn about ways that you can better secure your financial future. Her Money's Catherine Tuggle joins me now for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. I have to say, I find the topic of 
the shuffling in careers that we have seen since the pandemic to be really so fascinating. Everybody is doing something different, I feel like, than they were a couple of years ago. I think that's true. I also think the thing that she said that most resonated with me was about listening to that voice that is telling you that there's something that is wrong in your life. I was just yesterday reading this story in the New York Times about a doctor from West Virginia. I'm from West Virginia, so I always read about women from West Virginia when they show up in the New York Times. And this was about a doctor in a rural community who actually is suffering from something called broken heart syndrome. She was going so intensely and pushing herself and pushing herself and pushing herself in her work. And it was clear that the pushing and the pressure was largely coming from within to succeed, that she broke her heart. And there is a technical definition for this, but basically it involves one of your ventricles getting enlarged and out of whack. And if you're a cardiologist out there, forgive me, I have some heart experience, as many of you know, but not enough to define this technically. But this was what she was talking about, you know, this pressure to just succeed and to keep going, it can make us physically ill. You know, it can get to us in the form of headaches or backaches or mental overload or broken hearts. And I think taking a moment to unplug and to listen to that is really important. The other thing that it made me think about, and my mind is spinning because I've just come back from a couple of days on the road, but I got to spend some time this week with a woman named Ann Lester who is formerly of J.P. Morgan. She spent the bulk of her career there. Now she is consulting in the retirement space. She's serving on a couple of boards. She's writing a new book on retirement. We'll have her on when that comes out. But she took six weeks to do a pilgrimage where she essentially walked across Italy, staying in hostels and agro farms and small hotels. And she did much of this journey by herself. And I said, she's walking 15 to 25 miles a day. Wow. And I said, how was that? And she said she didn't even put in her earbuds. She didn't plug in one time. She was just in the moment for the entire journey. And it sounded amazing. I don't know that I could do it without plugging in. I have trouble not plugging in if I'm, you know, taking the dog for a walk. But that was a real break. Yeah, man, six weeks. That sounds absolutely stunning. That's like your true like eat, pray, love experience. You're going to come out of that with some new insights about yourself and the world, I think. Yes. And after six weeks of 25 miles a day, definitely some new insights about your feet. Oh, I was going to say a better butt. Well, it, it, that too. <laughs> That's the upside. Bunions and a better butt. Love it. Yeah. Let's do some questions. Our first question today comes to us from Trisha. She writes, hello, I'm currently working and my husband is retired. We're collecting social security from him and paying high taxes on that. I've been putting a good chunk of the social security towards our mortgage line of credit to pay it down quicker. 
should I put less on this payment and put money in my IRA to cut the taxes we're currently paying? Or is it better to pay off the line of credit? Thank you. Tricia, I think you answered this question really by the numbers. So when you look at your mortgage, your mortgage rate, which if you've been in this house for a while, is probably incredibly low. The return that you're getting by paying off that mortgage more quickly is basically equal to that interest rate. So if you're putting money on a 3% mortgage, you're getting a 3% return on your money. You're probably not getting much in the way of a tax deduction anymore. Compare that to the return that you get putting money into your IRA. Combine the return that you get from the growth on the money that you put in your IRA, as well as the tax savings, and you'll have your answer. My guess is that it's better to put the money into your IRA. That's just my guess because I'm guessing that your mortgage rate is really, really low, but compare the numbers and you'll get to a very quick and very final answer. That's good. That's good that this will be a clear-cut answer for her. It's just math, right? It's not math I can do for you. I would be happy to do the math for you, Tricia, but I would like need your tax rate and I would need I need a whole bunch of information. But you can easily do this math. Amazing. Our next question comes to us from an anonymous listener. She writes, "Hello, I'm a huge fan of your show and website. Thank you for being a wonderful resource for me and my family. I recommend your podcast to all my friends." I'm helping my sibling manage their own finances, and I would like to get them a professional financial advisor due to the complexity of their situation. However, I'm having a tough time finding someone that will be a good fit. My sibling is gender non-binary and needs to be comfortable talking to this person about their personal life, like saving for the goal of top surgery, since that spills over into their personal finances. Do you have any recommendations for finding an advisor who would be a good fit? Thank you so much. I'd greatly appreciate any ideas you have. This is such an important question, very important for your sibling, and I'm so glad that you feel that you're able to ask it of us and know that we'll give you an answer, which I'll do in just a second, but important across the board as well. We all need a level of comfort with our financial advisors. We all need to feel as if we can be open and honest and ourselves with them, or it's not just going to work. But this is, you're right, a very particular need. And so there are three places that I'm going to send you. The first is the XY Planning Network. The XY Planning Network is a place where you can find an advisor who will work by the plan. They'll work by the hour. They focus on millennials and Gen Z in particular, but they have a search bar that'll allow you to find an advisor and you can search by LGBTQIA. Also, the CFP website has a similar search button where you can search for advisors who specialize in working with LGBTQIA clients and families. The other place that I would go is to take a look at the website of the Debt Free Guys. They have been on our show before. They are a lovely male couple, but they've done a lot of research 
into finding advisors to work specifically with this community. And I suspect that they also will have a really good recommendation. If that doesn't work, if your sibling doesn't find somebody, come back to us and I will dig in personally and get you a couple of names. But I think that these sources should get you where you need to go. Amazing. Thank you, Jean. And I would just say your sibling is very lucky to have you. This is such a great thing that you're doing to help them find someone great. Absolutely. And in today's Thrive, let's talk about how to save on hotels. Boy, oh boy, I was booking a few just this weekend and they are pricey. Why? Because fall is in full swing. The days are getting cooler and shorter. And if you are in the Northeast like me, you're starting to daydream about your next vacation, maybe over the winter to someplace warm, maybe even tropical. But with inflation still so high, You might be worried about whether your budget can handle a vacation, especially with those pricey hotel stays. At hermoney.com, we've got plenty of tips for getting those prices down so that you can make your vacation budget-friendly. Just a couple of them right now. First, how much you spend on lodging can depend a lot on where you book your stay. It's convenient to compare hotel prices on third-party sites like Hotels.com, but avoid actually booking through those sites because they often charge commission fees. If you go directly to the hotels like Hilton and Marriott and Hyatt, they also provide a best price guarantee if you book directly through them, which means that if you find a cheaper price on that third-party site, the hotels will match you on that price and often give you an additional discount. Another benefit of booking directly with the hotel is you can get loyalty perks if you stick to a specific chain. I'm a big fan of my Bonvoy points. It is always free to sign up for a hotel's loyalty point program. And once you rack up several trips, you may be able to earn a free night stay. You're also more likely to get free Wi-Fi, early or late check-in or check-out, welcome gifts, breakfast, room upgrades. Another way to save is to put those reward points from your credit cards towards hotels. You might be saving them to pay for a flight, but often you'll get the biggest bang for your buck if you use them for hotels, which is often where people spend most of their time and money for a trip. Some hotel loyalty programs also offer incentives for using your flyer rewards points with them, like waiving resort fees or even giving you one night free in a multi-night stay. Finally, it pays to be flexible. Consider booking your trip on weekdays instead of weekends or booking a hotel that's slightly outside of city limits. And if you're feeling spontaneous, apps like Priceline and Rumor Travel can help you find last-minute deals for as much as 35% off. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Elizabeth Pearson for showing us how to take control of our careers. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk soon. Hold up. 